Menu and hours online at baandme.com and on Instagram and Facebook. And from listeners like you. Welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. And here on a Wednesday night in the middle of the week, this is when we check in on the latest in jobs and the economy. With James B. Huntington, it's called Work Shift Live, coming up in the second half of the program. At first, time for our weekly news roundup with the River Reporter on a Wednesday evening. For that, we turn to reporter Leah Mayo, award-winning reporter Leah Mayo, joining us on the phone right now. Hello, Liam. Welcome back to the program. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me back. So, um, you know, we've we got some rain uh, in the past week, and I think we got some rain in the week before that, and it was notable to me uh, because uh, I, th- I think we didn't have a lot of too much rain in the preceding months. Um, so when it did rain, it rained a lot. And now we're hearing news that we're no longer um, in a drought or drought watch. What exactly was the designation, and where do we stand now? Yeah, so... I believe we, when we talked about the rain a few weeks ago, if I'm not misremembering, uh, we t- discussed how even though we had gotten rain, the official drought watch hadn't updated yet. That has updated in both um, the New York and Pennsylvania areas as of this week. Um, and it wasn't like a high level of drought concern even when it was there. A drought watch is the, like, first of four levels of drought um, concern. So it was only, like, potentially going to be a drought. Um, But now that has been removed for Sullivan County in the New York side and for Pike and Wayne counties over on the Pennsylvania side. There are a couple of counties in both New York and Pennsylvania that are still under a drought watch. Um, I believe Orange County is the closest one to us. But um, for the most part, we are starting to head out of that drought watch state. Okay, great. And, um, you know, I hope along with this comes further guidance. We head into the fall. There's different fire concerns in each of the seasons. You know, in the summer, it's people doing more you know, camping and cooking out and things like that. And this time of year, uh, people are, are, are doing various outdoor fires for, for cleanup, or they used to. Some, some folks may still do that as well as, uh, people starting to heat their homes. So I think we'll keep an ear out for both, um, uh, uh, fire safety people on the response and as well as, uh, people on the environmental and weather and, uh, and keep people informed where we stand with that. Cause that's the first thing. I mean, there's the importance of the water. For everybody that needs water and the farmers and everybody, but there's also uh, always concerned. There's just so much brush and stuff out there. You got to keep an eye on that. Um, yeah, yeah, Ab- absolutely. And the the announcement from the New York State Department of Conservation did speci- say that like New York State is at a low risk of wildfires, but it is still a concern, as you highlighted. And both the announcements in New York and Pennsylvania came with sort of a recommendation that people keep an eye on their use of water, even if it's not technically in a drought watch. That is kind of an arbitrary distinction, one might say. Like, we, the, the overall problem of there may not be enough water is still kind of there, even if we're slightly below the level for a drought watch now. So 
um, anything, any little things people can do to reduce water still help, even if there's no technical drought watch. Good. That's what I was anymore. looking for is what the larger messaging is coming from various authorities. And I think that's good news, too, to hear that it's a, a low uh, wildfire risk uh, at this point, because there's been so, so many times over the last couple of years where it's been high, even at times of year where you wouldn't expect it. So that's good to hear from the DEC as well. Uh, looking at Pike County, commissioners have set up an endowment for the Pike County Emergency Services Fund. What's that about? Yeah. So the Pike County Emergency Services Fund is a fund in Pike County administered by the Greater Pike Community Foundation, and it was started in 2019 to basically take in private donations and use those to bolster the county's emergency medical services. So um, it's helped support training for local emergency services agencies and ambulances, and it has produced um, a number of new um, EMTs through various training programs. Um, It's produced since its inception 20 new EMTs, 17 of whom are currently in service in Pike County. So what the Pike County commissioners did is they took $50,000 of American Rescue Plan Act funding and gave this um, emergency fund an endowment so that it can have some stability and it can keep doing its work indefinitely, really. And it's, I just think it's cool to highlight because it is a success story in certain terms for uh, local emergency services. There's just a lot of, um, there are a lot of shortfalls in volunteers on the emergency services side. Uh, we, in another story we ran this week, there was uh, reported that um, the firefighter volunteer corps in Pennsylvania has fallen from around 300,000 to around 15,000 mm. in the past 15 or so years. So um, a, an endowment of $50,000 to a program that has in, in a couple of years produced a decent amount of um, emergency medical technicians to bolster those services is, I think, a huge success. And yeah. it's, and I think there's a, a greater a greater need in in a rural area too. That to me is what compounds it. I just know there there's less infrastructure and services in general, at least in in Northeast. PA, and you say there's a reduction in volunteers, you know that's disproportionately affecting rural areas worth, uh, worse uh, um, the de facto. So, um, well, well, there you go. So good government response, allocation of funds. You, you approve, Liam. You sound like you approve. Yes, that is not an official River Reporter stance, but it's that's a yours. Yes, Liam yeah. Mayo stance. But somebody who's yes, been I, looking I, into the issue, keeping an eye on it. That's his take on it. Yeah. Uh, Town Highland uh, Highway Superintendent, what's what's going on with the the uh, Tom Ebers? He's resigned as of November first. What's going on? Yeah, there are a couple of empty seats in the Town of Highland at the moment. Um, Tom Ebers was the longtime Highway Superintendent. And he resigned effective November 1, so in a couple of weeks. And that was for health reasons, he cited. Um, And sort of in a similar vein, uh, one of the town board members, uh, Jim Goodekunst, um, was retiring on October 21, so in a couple of days. 
also for health reasons. So um, for the highway superintendent, uh, the search will, I'd imagine, begin. Uh, we spoke with the deputy, deputy superintendent, and he said he was comfortable doing the job until the board appointed someone else, but he wasn't interested in running for that role. And then on the town board side, the board um, is currently seeking uh, people to replace Gutekunst. Uh, they're trying to interview applicants and fill the seat by appointment. Okay. And even even as we're in the midst of uh, election time, you know, whether these are – are these elected seats or, or they're self-selecting? These are elected seats, I mean, in normal times, I believe. Uh, I believe – I don't think these um, replacements will go to an election. I believe the replacements themselves will be appointed. So the temporary um, positions fill in, basically. Exactly, yeah. Right. And I, I'm not sure when the next election for superintendent is, but the town board seat would expire at the end of 2023. So that election would be next year. Okay, and finally, Liam, River Reporter newspaper that you work for is holding an event for seniors next Wednesday. It's happening in the afternoon, 1.30. Uh, what's happening? What can you tell us? Yeah, so if uh, listeners will remember, or may or may not remember, a while back, uh, the River Reporter, in collaboration with Tustin's Youth Commission, held an event um, that was geared around listening to Tustin's youth and uh, getting just hearing from them, making them feel like they were more part of the community, trying to really feel out what uh, the youth needed in their community. Well, we're holding a similar event geared toward uh, this time, people of retirement age and over. Um, so the other end of the age spectrum. Um, and that'll be similar things where we're just asking what people want to see in their community and what people need in their community with the goal of potentially helping those conversations start to help some of those things come about and to help people feel more connected in their community. But it'll specifically be a little a uh, bit of a senior focus, like what do people need to age in their community? What do people need um, who are um, maybe in retirement or looking for retirement? And what do what does that community look like? So that will be one thirty at the Tustin Town Hall. All right. Well, thank you so much for letting us know about that event and uh, all the other news that you bring to us. Uh, Liam, you'll be back on air this weekend with the local news headlines from New York and Pennsylvania. And we'll be talking to you again this time next week. Liam, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is the local edition. We've got WorkShift Live coming right up. Uh, before we get to that, let's uh, have a little bit of New York State election news. Uh, out of Albany, New York Governor Kathy Hochul, who has seen her lead in the governor's race slip in the polls, is coming down hard on her opponent Lee Zeldin's ties to former President Donald Trump. Karen DeWitt has more. Republican Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin, who initially had far less campaign cash than Hochul, held a fundraiser over the summer hosted by Trump. The money raised has helped Zeldin run ads blaming Hochul for the state's increased rate of violent crime, which has been resonating with voters. Hochul blames the crime rate on disruption due to the pandemic. 
This week, Trump endorsed Zeldin, predicting on his social media site that Zeldin will be a great governor of New York. In the Post, Trump says he has watched and known Congressman Zeldin for many years and calls him a great and brilliant lawyer. Trump also says Zeldin was a key resource for other Republicans in Congress when they faced legal obstacles in crafting legislation. Trump, a polarizing figure, is largely unpopular in New York. A recent poll found he was disliked by 61 percent of voters. The Hochul camp wasted no time in cutting a new television ad. He's talking about Lee Zeldin. It features footage of Trump at an April 2022 event at Mar-a-Lago with Zeldin by his side. It also shows Trump giving Zeldin a friendly tap on the shoulder and a photo of the two men smiling. Zeldin is downplaying the endorsement, saying a lot of people have backed him. Should have been news. I mean, he's uh, he supported me before this weekend. Zeldin, speaking to reporters, says he welcomes everyone's support, but the race is between himself and Hochul and nobody else. At the start of this campaign, I was asked, are you a Charlie Baker Republican or a Ron DeSantis Republican? I'm my own man. Hochul's campaign also criticized text messages that Zeldin sent to Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, on the day before the 2020 election was called for Biden. In the messages, he advised Meadows to create a file of any alleged voting irregularities and to include a donation link for Trump's legal fund. Zeldin told Meadows that needed to be done instantly. He also advised Meadows on how to coordinate media coverage for highlighting any alleged wrongdoing in voting practices in battleground states. Trump continues to falsely claim that he won the election in the face of facts and evidence that show President Joe Biden won both the popular vote and the Electoral College. The texts uncovered by the Congressional Committee investigating the events of the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol were released by investigative journalist Hunter Walker. Hochul says the texts, along with Zeldin's votes in Congress on the day after certifying the election, show that he's unfit to be governor. When voters understand how extreme Lee Zeldin is, not only did he vote to overturn the presidential election, he was one of the early co-conspirators sending text messages trying to give a strategy to the White House, the chief of staff of the White House, on how to subvert the will of the people. Zeldin's campaign does not deny that the congressman wrote the texts, but they say the Hochul campaign is mischaracterizing them for political gain. Zeldin's spokesperson Katie Vincent says in a statement that Hochul is desperate when she'd rather obsess over a text message sent at the beginning of November before the election was even called, rather than focus on the issues most important to New Yorkers. Vincent says those issues include the rising crime rate and the skyrocketing cost of living. Polls released this week show Zeldin is between 4 and 11 points behind Hochul in the race and that he's leading among independent voters. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Thank you to Karen DeWitt and the New York State Public Radio Exchange for that report. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. This is The Local Edition. I'm Jason Dole, and right now we are going to go over the latest on jobs and the economy around the country, around the world, right here in our area. For that, we turn to James B. Huntington for WorkShift Live. Hello, James. Good evening, Jason. Good evening, listeners. Working nine to five. What a way to make a living. 
Okay, well, uh, there's some recurring themes when we talk every week, uh, and one of them is inflation, still a big story. What happened with inflation in September, and how do you know? Well, this is the Bureau of Labor Statistics official report, and it went down. That's the good news. The bad news is it's still at 8.2%. It's still a few tenths of a percent only, but... What it is, is people are still working and spending. It's not changing. That's what's driving prices up. Mm. Mm. Um, And then on to employment stories, I guess, starting with our local listening area. Do you have uh, the latest on uh, uh, unemployment in our area? Yes, this is August's data, which is the most recent by county. We have Sullivan County with 3.3% unemployment. That's up 0.1% from July. Orange, 3.6%, also up 0.1%. Ulster County, 3.2%, which is down 0.2%. Wayne County, 4.8%, up 0.1%. And Pike, 6.1%, up 0.3. So we have a national average, this is all unadjusted, of 3.8%, meaning the three New York counties are still doing better than the national average, and the Pennsylvania ones are still lagging. So overall, we have some weakening, except Ulster County, it's not really meaningful, and Really, the New York counties, under the circumstances, without major employers, are doing very well. Okay, that's good to know. Um, And then, um, again, sticking with with working in the workplace, uh, hybrid work, again, there's a struggle going back and forth between employers and employees and who wants to work where and employers wanting more folks in and folks wanting options from that. Uh, You you think there's a hybrid that might uh, be a win-win for both sides of that discussion? Well, this is a report from Benefit News, which is a newsletter geared actually to human resources professionals, and it says five reasons why hybrid work is a win-win for employers and employees. Ultimately, this is just an opinion, but the talking points they have is that first, going to the office is pricey, sympathy for employers who have to pay commuting costs, which is quite expensive. I mean, it's not anything unusual for someone to pay close to $10,000 a year just to commute these days, especially in the New York City area. Second, some work is better done alone. That's acknowledging that as much as employers may not be happy with people working from home as much as they would like, there are some things that they can do better if they're concentrating. That's potential. The reality is more arguable. Three, employers are looking to co-working spaces. That means that people can do well sometimes in these settings, which are kind of in between an office and home. They're with several other workers or whatever that's worked out often that may have already peaked out, but it's still around. Second, 
or fourth, rather, proximity bias has to be confronted. They're saying that's a problem that people can often be promoted more and get better raises, be thought of better in general if they do turn up in person. That's always been a problem since the beginning of people working from home, and it needs more attention, possibly. Otherwise, it can just be a disadvantage of working from home a lot. Mm. Number five, it's remote work and work-life balance go hand in hand. That's an old one. Sometimes it is. It's You're getting into dangerous territory, though, when you're implying that people working from home are at home, because in a great sense, they're really not, and employers don't want them to think of themselves as being at home. They just want them to be putting their heads down and getting extra work done. So these are opinions. These are possibilities. It's really just the latest contribution, but it's quite possible that some kind of hybrid work arrangement is going to be where we end up or where we will be in, say, five years on this rapidly shifting issue. See, that's what I wanted to ask you is after reading a report like this, is this uh, in any way shifted how you are already thinking about this? And just to remind people, what is your take on where this will land? Well, it's. I think it's going to be, continue to be different from company to company. I think that in five or ten years, there will be a lot of people working remotely, but it's going to be an issue that varies so much that applicants are going to have to find out what the policy is for companies they're interested in and go from there. It's not going to be any cookie cutter or any one-size-fits-all for companies all over the country. It's There's going to be really a splintering of different attitudes. We already have. We have CEOs who want people to be in the office five days a week, every week, and then we have a lot of companies, as I may mention later in this broadcast, that are only requiring people to be remote, that never need people to be in the office. Okay, and uh, moving on to uh, tax before we get to the latest prices, uh, tax brackets, you expect them to change next year? Yes, well, the IRS has announced that they will be changing next year. We're talking the 2023 tax year. It's not what's happening now, and it's not going to affect your tax return this coming April. But for 2023, we have increases. It's generally the usual inflation indexing. So we have... The brackets going up, the the real mid-range 22% of adjusted gross income is, the minimum for that is going up from 41775 to 44725 about $3,000. The, the upper bracket of that, the upper limit of that is going up from about eighty nine to 95000 we also have the standard deduction, which is getting bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. It's getting bigger some more. It's going up to 13850 for individuals and 27700 for married couples. It's just 
more and more people will not need to itemize, and that's going to get into non-itemizing territory, even for people who have houses and mortgage payments in some cases. So those are all good things. It doesn't do much more than cover inflation, but it's it's good to know that the IRS is letting people keep more money when it's going out faster than ever. So that's how it is. Okay. Um, so let's let's go over what the latest is on uh, stock, oil, precious metal, and crypto prices. Okay. Compared with last week, in general, gold is sixteen twenty nine an ounce, down forty four dollars. Surprising with all the cash out there. Silver eighteen forty five, down fifty five cents. Really in line with gold because the ratio over the last decade or more is been not far from 80 to 1. The Dow, 30,424, it dropped 100 today, but it's still up over 1,200 for the past week. It's been a fine week. It's, it is, though, really in a range between 29.5 and 31. So that hasn't changed. We haven't seen it breaking out of that, but it's still a very positive week. Oil 85.98 down a dollar 12. Oil's been touring the 80s really. Bitcoin 19,170 extremely close to unchanged sitting at its recent bottom. Investors really don't know what to do long term. It's just camping out whether we'll see 15 or 22 next is a totally open question. The pound a dollar Twelve twenty-five. It's up just over a penny. There's still problems in Britain causing this. The euro ninety-seven point seven nine cents up point seven nine of a cent, and it is recovering slowly but surely. And the hundred yen coin dropped another penny and is now sixty-seven cents. So overall. This is all mixed. The maximum confidence seems to be in the Dow. Okay. And, you know, the and the dollar's still doing strong then. Oh, yes. The dollar is very strong. It's is, the same situation, really. Foreign currencies, the ones I didn't mention, are generally somewhere around even, but they're not going up, and they're all, almost one after the other, lower than they were a year ago. You mentioned the price of oil. I know that uh, news came out last night, uh, President Biden uh, wanting, uh, I guess it's oil from the reserve. They're talking about it during uh, the NPR News this afternoon, all things considered. I wonder if you're following this story and what your take is on it. Oh, yes. Well, they're releasing more oil from the strategic reserve. It's Seems to me like an awfully political move with the election coming up very soon. It's uh, The price of gas is way down from several months ago. It doesn't seem like a good time to be doing this. So uh, I think it's a little fishy, it seems to me, unnecessary. Well, I, I think it's definitely a political move. I was just wondering if it, if it will have any real benefit. Well, yes, sure it will. It will make gas prices a little lower. But, of course, they're going to have to restock this strategic reserve at some point. 
and that will bring prices up. And it's it's hard for me to see how gas will be a lot lower in, say, a few months. It may be about the same, but I don't see any reason for it to drop substantially. Ah, so in, instead of it, uh, instead of it being like a, a total healing thing, it's uh, we're kind of we're borrowing against future pain once exactly. again with the well, government. That's what it is. I mean, the strategic oil reserve is a bunch of oil the government is holding on to. They maintain it. They're not going to discontinue the program and leave it out there forever. And that would be the permanent gain, but there's no sign of that. All right. Well, I appreciate you going over uh, that with us on the fly here, James. And uh, for all the information that you bring us every week right here on WorkShift Live, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, listeners. The WorkShift Live will return next week. I will return tomorrow because this is the local edition. Comes to you every week, day, night at this time. There's Dolly. Coming up, we've got Trailer Talk with Sabrina Artel. This is Radio Catskill. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wallenpopic, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. From Dog Mountain Lodge, providing dog boarding and grooming, also boarding cats, birds, and other exotic pets. Located in Keshekta, New York, and on the web at DogMountainLodge.com. And from listeners like you. Partly to mostly cloudy tonight. The overnight low will go down to 32, so not as cold as last night where it was uh, significantly below freezing in the upper 20s. Uh, tomorrow, uh, partly cloudy and, and more sun through the day as we get towards a high near 50. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy once again, an overnight low around 30. This is Radio Catskill or WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH.